Now this evening from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. And so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. For the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So far the hearing of God's word from Psalm 115 would invite you also to turn to the Gospel of Matthew as we read the Lord's Prayer that is recorded in chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We'll stop there this evening. Last week we began this shorter part in the Heidelberg Catechism on the Lord's Prayer by spending some time focusing on the preface of the Lord's Prayer. That is the one to whom the prayer is addressed, the Father. And this week, we move on to the first request of the Lord's Prayer. The first thing that we ask when we pray, that the Father would hallow his name. Now, this is a very important thing for us to think about. And Psalm 115, which is, of course, a song, helps us in a significant way. Because it reminds us that all songs that we sing in praise to God have the same center that prayer has. 
Sometimes we are tempted to think that prayer is about us, the needs that we have, the things that are on our mind that prompt us to bend our knees and to come before God, the things that we want to tell him, the lack that we have and the supply that he has to give to us. We can be very tempted to think that prayer is a man-centered thing. And yet the word of God reminds us that all prayer and indeed all praise is God-centered. It is of God. It is from God. We, We would not know to praise or to pray if it wasn't the divine work of God within our hearts. And it all exists to the glory of his name. Both prayer and praise have their end in the magnifying of the name of God. And that is why this song, Psalm 115, begins with the word no. Did you see that? I don't know if you love to sing praise songs in your own time or perhaps in your car. Of all the praise songs that you know and love, Wonder if you could count the songs that begin with the word no. So often we start off by telling God things that are true, things for which we want to to praise him, the ways that he has revealed himself to us that we want to tell back to him. But this song doesn't begin that way. It begins with the word lo, Hebrew word, which we bring out as no or not. And it's repeated twice. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. Of course, the way that the word of God puts words in bold font or would draw a line beneath them to emphasize them for us is to repeat them. And so here, by repeating this phrase, not to us twice, makes it leap off the page And settle in our hearts, not to us, Lord, give glory. We are ones who are unworthy of glory. Glory is made for the creator and not for the creature. Glory belongs to that world that is beyond us, to the age that is yet to come. We now live in the age that is marked by the cross, that is marked by suffering, sickness, and death, and sin. Not the age defined by glory, which is yet to come. And we also are reminded that Mortal beings, who we are, are unworthy and unable to bear the glory of God. Do you remember that majestic scene in Isaiah 6? As Isaiah is allowed in the ministry of the Spirit to behold the throne room of God and the Heavenly hosts that are there are praising the holiness of God and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. We're so focused on the words that they say that so oftentimes we forget what these 
angels do with their wings. They wrap their wings around their faces to veil their eyes so that they do not gaze upon the holy glory of God. Even these created beings that were made for the holy presence of God wrap themselves to hide from the sheer glory of God. Created things cannot withstand the glory of God. And so it is God's grace to us that he would prompt us in the church to ascribe glory to his name. Just think of the grace that is at play as the Lord Jesus comes to teach us to pray this way in the Lord's Prayer. The gospel, we could say, is wrapped up in this gift that the Lord Jesus and he alone gives us to be able to hallow God's name. Because we, in and of ourselves, sinners as we are, should not be allowed to speak the name of God. And so it's only in Christ that we're enabled to come before him and to enable our lips to speak forth praise to the glorious Father. Well, from the get-go here, we, we say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. That tells us the first thing about the hallowing of God's name. The name of God does not need something from us that it does not already have. God's name is no common name. It is the most wonderful name that has ever been. And so when the Lord tells us to hallow God's name, Jesus does not tell us to give to the Father something that he doesn't have. He tells us to recognize something that the Father already possesses within himself and already does to his own name. Did you catch that in Psalm 115 verse 1? The Father glorifies his own name. You see, this is the god centeredness of prayer and the God-centeredness of the hallowing of the divine name. Just, just look two Psalms prior in Psalm 115. Three times in verses one, two, and three, there is the blessing of the name of the Lord. First, to the servants of the Lord. It says, praise the name of the Lord. And then at the start of verse two, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse three, in the second part, the name of the Lord is to be praised. You see, the effect of telling out or announcing the name of God is to usher praise. Just the hearing of his name beckons praise. God praises his 
name. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 113. For the Lord is high above all of the nations, and his glory is above the heavens. That's where it already is. The glory of God already is. And when we come either in prayer or in worship to bring glory to the name of the Father, we need to know that we are doing something that already is taking place. It is already taking place in the world that God has made. The Lord says that the earth that I have formed brings me praise. And if the church will not praise, then even the rocks will cry out in praise to God. That the glory of God is set above the heavens. All those places where man cannot go, not even in a spaceship. That realm that is above this realm is filled with the glory of God. And in all of that space, the name of the Father is already glorified. That's why when we come to our psalm, Psalm 115, we have to laugh. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Now, as we sing this psalm, we know that the nation of Israel here that was God's special people uh, and for whom this was their songbook, now in Christ, applies to the church. So the Psalter is our songbook. And so when we speak about the people of God, we're speaking about all of the church. And when we speak about those who are our are outside, we're not speaking about foreign nation states as they exist in the year 2023, but we're speaking about those who do not profess faith in Christ. Why is it that all those who do not know God say, where is your God? We know that. When we suffer, when we sorrow, and perhaps your friends know that you come to church at six o'clock on Sunday night. Perhaps some of your friends know that this is your second time here in the day. And yet they also know that you are suffering in the various ways that all of us are. And they might be tempted to say whether aloud to you or perhaps just as they scratch their heads, where is their God? They spend all of this time they invest so much in praising God. They put so much time into reading the little books that they read and going to the places that they go and they're, all, they're always serving at the church. But look at their life. Where is their God? And the Psalter leads us with a bold answer. A bold answer that we know in truth because God has told us throughout his word, we know where our God is. Our God is in the heavens. That is to say, he is everywhere. He is all of the place, all of the time. He is right here and he is there. 
He is filling the farthermost realms of the created world that he has made, and he is beyond all of those realms. Our God is in the heavens, and he is doing everything that he pleases. That is where our God is, and that is what he is doing. He is glorifying himself in all that he is and in all that he does. And then he goes on to say, his name is hallowed unto itself because there is no one else who is like him. There is no other God. There is no other one. There is no thing that dimly compares to who the heavenly father is. There is no one like our God. Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8 spell this out. Um, Just look at all of the would-be gods, small g. Just look at the idols. Um... We live in a day and age where most people don't have carved totem poles in their homes. Some do. Uh, But we have shiny things, don't we? And we have small things and big things that cost a lot of money. And we have small things and big things that fill first place in our heart. And we devote our time to them and we devote our thought to them and we devote priority in our life to them. And the Bible calls those things idols. And so as we praise God and pray to him, we are reminded that all these things, all these would-be gods are just the work of man's hands. All of them have been made. Um, None of them are makers in themselves. Verse 5, they are mute and they are blind. They can't speak, they can't see. Verse 6, they are deaf and they have no sense of smell. 7, they can't feel and they can't walk. They are lame. They're stuck. They can't move unless someone else moves them. They are the unmoved unmover. Um, They have no senses. That is to say, cumulative effect. Verse 8, they are nothing. And they have the very sad effect of making those who bow before them nothing as well. They make worshipers of these would-be gods deaf and blind and dumb and mute unfeeling, hardened in heart. The praise that God has made to be on our lips becomes silenced. See, that's, that's what's taking place here. And yet, God is the one who glorifies his own name. Um, we need to know that, church. We need to know that our Heavenly Father loves his name, that he loves himself, that he is completely, perfectly satisfied with all that he is. And because he loves 
his name. It is a gift of all gifts for him to place his name on your lips and to allow you to speak his name. Look at the second part of verse one in Psalm 115. It's not just that God hallows his own name, but he reveals himself that we should hallow his name. He does this in two ways. First, he he shows his steadfast love. Uh, What is this? This is the hesed promise of God. This is the unfailing oath that God has sworn to be gone to us and to our descendants following us, to be our Lord for nothing within us, just for the sure, steadfast, unfailing goodness of all that he is to us. And secondly, he shows his faithfulness to us. Sometimes we don't take the time to separate what these two words, steadfast love on the one hand and faithfulness mean in distinction from each other. They're not synonyms. Where steadfast love refers to the promise of the gospel and that God will be who he says that he is all for his grace, the faithfulness of God refers to the truthfulness of who he is within himself. That God does not change. He is constant. And because he is constant, therefore we can trust him. Uh, And as God reveals himself in his person and in end in his works, it has the effect then of all who know him praising him, hallowing his name. So here's where I want to go in the time that we have left. How do we hallow the Father's name? How do we do that? So often at Fourth Church, in the sermons that we preach, we resist a to-do list. Tonight you get a to-do list of things to do. Thomas Watson wrote a great commentary on the Lord's Prayer and his to-do list for how you hallow the Lord's name has 16 points. What's wrong with 16 points? Where do you have to be? I've reduced it to four. So we'll get you home in time for dinner. Um, but the 16 that he gives are really great. Um, so the first is this. How do we, ha- how do we hallow the, fa- the Father's name? How do we glorify it? We seek to know him. We seek to know him aright. Isn't that what Heidelberg 122 says? We ask help from God that we would know him as he is. In John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying what is surely the most exalted prayer that has ever been. And he is praying to the Father. And in verse 3, right at the onset, as he lifts his eyes and he says, the hour has come, Father, 
Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And then verse three, this is eternal life that he has come to give. The reason that he is about to die upon the cross, the reason why he is going to be betrayed so that you and I would know eternal life. And the son says, this is eternal life. That they know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing the Father. That's what it is. That's what we long to do. We, we long to know God. And we long to know him as he is, as he has revealed himself to be known in his word. Jeremiah chapter 9, you remember this great verse that we should all know by heart. Let not the, not let the wise man boast in his wisdom, now let the strong man boast in his strength. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me. That's where we all want to live, right? That the one boast of our life would be that we know God. And we move on. To know him as he is, to know the Father in the Son, to have eternal life in the Son, therefore, is to trust God. Knowing him, then trusting him. In Psalm 115, this is what the center part of the, of the psalm is. If we think of, of the psalm as a chorus, as a song, and the center part is the chorus, uh, verses 9, 10, and 11 then form this chorus that would have been repeated as the psalm was sung. And the three-part reframe there. O Israel, trust in the Lord. Aaron's house, trust in the Lord. All you who fear him, trust in the Lord. You see, for the church to know God is not just to know facts about God. It is to have a sincere, heartfelt trust in God. If you've been here at Fourth Church for a period of time, or perhaps you've been raised in the church and you've been going to church, the question that I have for you is, do you know a lot about God? Or do you also know him in your heart? Do you trust in him? Do you rely upon him? Do you rest from all of your good works and trying to do whatever you could do in order to win his favor? And do you just lean upon him with all of your weight? That is what the psalm says. It means to hallow the name of God. To please God is to trust him and to take him at his word. The second way that we would hallow God's name is to honor him, to honor him. We do that as we love his name. Is the name of God precious to you? Do you, do you love it? 
Think of all the things that you love. And even in this past week, as we set a day apart, perhaps, to, to think about what we love and all the things that we love and the way that we love them. Do you love God's name? It is the most precious name that has ever been, and therefore the most precious name deserves to be precious to you. Do you treasure God's name in your heart? Do you ascribe to the Lord the glory, the heartfelt love that is due to his name? One of the ways that we do this in the uh, context of the church is by telling each other in the church how good God is. Look at verses 12 through 15. This, uh, this psalm that has had in view those who do not praise God and we ourselves, as we come to trust in the name of the Lord, now turns to each other in the church and puts each other in view. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. When we come into contact with people in the church who are finding it hard in their circumstance, in their day of life, to trust in the Lord, do we encourage them to hold fast, to rely upon him? Do we remind each other that God is good? And do we remind each other that God is wonderful? Um, think of the things that we say to each other in the context of the church. So oftentimes we say, I'm praying for you, and that's a great thing to say. Sometimes we say, I'm so sorry, and that's a good thing to say. Sympathy is a gift of God. Sometimes we say, I love you, and that's something that we ought to say because we devote ourselves to each other in the church. But one of the most powerful things that we can say to each other in the church is, my friend, God is great. Is he great in your life today? That's where, that's where this psalm brings us. Well, then the third the third way that we can hallow the Heavenly Father's name is to glorify him. Um, and here we have in view the enormity of his name within our own hearts. There are two ways that you can magnify something. If something is teeny tiny, you can put it beneath a microscope. And as you look through the lenses, it magnifies it to make a very small thing look big. Or the second way that you can magnify something is with a telescope. And you can look out at something that is ginormous. And it can put it just into the frame of the view of your eye so that you can begin to imagine how big and how great that thing really is. And that's what the Psalter leads us to do with God's name. Mary did this in Luke 1. Remember when the angel came to her and told her what was going to take place? 
Mary's response to that angel was, my soul magnifies the Lord. What she was saying is, oh, oh. The plan of God is greater than I dreamed. God's love for me is beyond my wildest dreams. His purpose for me is more detailed than I would have fathomed ever before. I cannot believe the bigness and the greatness of God. Friends, that's where we want to get in prayer. That's where we want to begin as we pray. God, you are greater than my greatest thoughts of you. You are enormous, and I can't wrap my arms around you, but I want to worship you now by hallowing your name and saying that there is nothing like you. Oh, Father, would you magnify yourself in my heart? Fourth way, we also want to praise him. We want to praise him. Psalm 115, verse 17 and also verse 18. The dead do not praise him, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord for this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist tells us that's why we've been made. That's why every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth has been made to praise God. And yet it is a privilege that only the church knows. So we who have been redeemed by Christ will make the purpose of this life to praise God. This life, while we have life in breath, while we are alive in the flesh, is the effect of verse 17. The goal of my life here on earth will be to praise God. And, verse 18, what my life will be in glory, what my life will be forevermore, will be praising God. God. Just look with me at the way that Psalm 115 ends. Does it begin with a no? We begin with a no. But Psalm 115 ends with a yes. It ends with a triumphant yes. Praise the Lord. He is praised. And he will be praised here, in this place. And he will be praised in your life. And my friends, that is the work of Christ within you. When you feel the slightest prompting within your heart to give praise to God, that is a work of the Spirit. And I encourage you just to recognize that and to stop and to pray. Father, I hallow your name. I glorify your name. I love your name. Will you help me to love it more? Let's pray. Father in heaven, 
we have but just begun. We thank you for all that you are, Father. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that we should know you and knowing you, trust you, and as we trust you, love you. Oh, Father, will you help us to know you more and trust you more and love you more? I pray for our prayer life, Father, and I pray that you would help us to know what God-centered prayer really is. Would you bring us into this experience that the psalmist charts out for us, that we would know God-enthralled prayer, that we would be a church that just basks in the beams of the greatness of all that you are. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen.